so much that we share it with you on this show. Um, in today's episode, we'll be discussing four poems by the same author, Marsha LeBeau. Um, but before we do that, we'll do a round of who we've got with us and where they are. So I'm Kathleen Volk-Miller, and I am here in my office at Drexel, uh, 5036 McAllister, to be exact. Don't, don't come hurt me or anything, but you can send me love notes, postcards, that kind of thing, T-shirts, um, whatever it is, I'll advertise for it, I promise you. Um, I direct the graduate program in publishing and co-edit Tricks of Painterberg Quarterly with Marion and Jason. And uh, with me in the office today is Tim Fitz. Hi, I'm Tim Fitz, and I've been reading with the Pain of Bride Quarterly for, this is my fourth year, and I'm the author of Hypothermia, Woo-hoo! and the upcoming short story collection, Go Home and Cry for Yourselves, with the Xavier Ruby Press. Woohoo! And Yay. sitting next to me is Cherie, which I was... <laughs> Sitting across from me is Kathleen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we don't have Joe in the studio today. Today we have Ryan. There he's waving at you. You can't see him, but you're missing out, let me tell you. Shree, what do you have to say other than you look great in blue? (laughs) Thank you. I just discovered I look great in blue. (laughs) Uh, My name is Shree DeVos, and I am the editor assistant and the communications co-op here at DPG, DBQ. Um, I've been here for eight weeks or nine weeks now. Wow. Yeah. So that's lovely. Um, <laughs> I am a junior here at Drexel majoring in international area studies with minor in Spanish and all that good stuff. Awesome. And we have Marion with us today and she's, she's calling from somewhere else in the world. We're going to start playing. Where in the world is Marion Wren? Hi, Mayor. Hi, I am on my way back to the U.S. very slowly by way of a conference called Nonfiction Now in Reykjavik, Iceland. So I'm in Iceland um, calling y'all and I am delighted at the signal. Like I can hear you all perfectly, which is amazing. Um, And I just happened to be sitting at the conference and chatting with Erica Meitner, our friend Erica Meitner from VQR, who directs the MFA program at Virginia Tech and sends her, her big love to... The editors and particularly to yeah, particularly to Jason Schneiderman, who is <clears throat> celebrating a birthday. Uh-huh. Happy birthday, Jason! And, and, and Erica has been a guest um, host on this podcast. I yes, know. she has absolutely. Jason, I wasn't on Facebook yet today. I didn't know it was your birthday. <laughs> I know, because that's the real world, right? I've been on Facebook. It didn't happen. Um, yes, I am in my office at the borough of Manhattan Community College. Classes are over, but I still have work to do, um, even though it's not um, on student papers or teaching right now. And it is my birthday, and I just got the most wonderful birthday present, which is that this... I just found out about this on Instagram. Apparently, Smoke Signals Barbecue in Toronto has posted my poem on this like beautiful light board, and um, they've they've posted a number of poems by other people, uh, other poets. And I'm just I'm just kind of um, I'm really moved. Love which but, poem, Jason? Uh, the tension of the water. Oh my! Oh, sorry, the surface of the water. Nice. I should actually know the title of my own poems. <laughs> It's the surface of the water. Yeah. Um, 
Okay. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit it, but the expressions in the office let me know I am not alone. Posted on a light board? What? At a barbecue restaurant. It's even yeah. What are we talking about? There's like a brick wall, and then there's a board, almost like a movie marquee, with like about one, two, three, four, five, six. It has like six lines of text, and it's two boards next to each other. And they've posted um, a lot, like there's an Ann Carson poem that's been up there, an Ocean Vuong poem, Neil Hilborn, um, Aziza Barnes, um, a, lot of, a lot of really great people to be in the company of. And, and where is this? It is, it is um, I believe it's a restaurant called Smoke Signals Barbecue in Toronto. Nice. In Toronto. And they didn't have to ask your permission. Yes, yes, books. It seemed, I don't know if they knew it was my birthday or not. Um, <laughs> Did they have to ask your permission? No. I mean, I guess, like, maybe they <laughs> <laughs> But no. Um, people, people don't really do that. I did, you know, there was this one time where someone reprinted the entirety of a poem of mine. And it was an attack on the award that the poem had received. And it was this whole <gasps> story about how terrible this poem was and how I should never have been given this award and how the judge should be- Shit. It, it literally said she should be thrown out into the street, um, which was such a weird phrasing. It was like-, like She I, was definitely eating bad shit. Yeah, and, um, and, I, and I, I would have been within my rights like my copyrights to say you may not print the entire poem, right. uh, but I didn't um, because I didn't. I you know like <laughs> I, sort of, I am an information anarchist to to a very large extent, and I sort of believe that it's okay to kind of you know do things like that. Um, but years later, uh, I was putting together a panel, and I actually tried to contact the person who had written it. Um, <laughs> on the panel to talk about attacking me. Um, and the person had retracted it. Oh. Um, the article had been retracted. Because I, I, I went to the journal. And Jason, I, what's her name? Kathy Griffin? No, it was not. <laughs> it was not Kathy Griffin. Although I will say, <laughs> you cannot joke about killing the president. That is not acceptable. You can't do that. Yeah. Too little, too late for Kathy. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I feel very bad, but I, but I also, I, I do feel like, like, I don't know, someone on the left should also say, like, there are, there are standards. Like, you, you may not. I think people are saying it. I think no, I mean, no one wants to go down that road. Did, I, I've did seen you, a lot of defenses. I've seen a lot of defenses. Did yeah. you hear who, um, who actually dropped her as their, uh, what do you call it? Like, their spokesperson? Uh, yeah. Squatty potty. No. I swear to you. I swear to you. Squatty, she was going to be a spokeswoman for Spotty Potty. Squatty Potty. And they have dumped her. <laughs> because of this controversy. Yeah. Shouldn't that be like, shouldn't that be like, like an enhancement? Like, shouldn't it? Like, <laughs> the world, I mean, we couldn't write this shit, right? We could not write this. No way. Any of it. Wow. Yeah. All right. Okay. So let's get to it. I think we're warm. Fingers are flexed. <laughs> voices are vocal. Um, we have four poems by um, uh, Marsha LeBeau. And um, I think we should jump right in. Um, anybody want to read the first one? 
instead of? Okay, I'll jump in to keep it going. Instead of cornering Jericho Brown by the wine and cheese after his talk on racism, I whisper to him in my head. That's the title. I'm going to give it to you again. Instead of cornering Jericho Brown by the wine and cheese after his talk on racism, I whisper to him in my head. I tell him, when my teenage godson cries, there is no sound, just tears sliding down his black cheeks from an invisible faucet while he stares at me, unblinking. Sometimes when his face is wet and he wipes it with the neck of his bright white t-shirt, I think of how my son's t-shirts have never been that white. At school drop-off, I can't tell if the black caretaker of a black kid is a nanny or a mom. I always know whether the white caretaker of a white kid is a nanny or a mom. When my godson's mother died, we found it buried in a police blotter. Semicolon, I mean, colon quote, black female between ages 20 to 30, found by joggers at attorney in Houston in East River. Unquote. After years of my brother dating black women, I want him to date someone white. I feel like he is rejecting me, my mom, himself. The little black girl asks what color my eyes are. Blue, I tell her. When she laughs and screams, weird, her mother slaps her across the face. Jericho looks at me, leans in and whispers, slavery was a bad idea. That's it. Well read, you. Thank you. All right, so I'm going to move right in, and I just have questions about the, I guess, like the genealogy of this in a way, meaning like the speaker's got a teenage godson, but when the godson mother's mother dies in the scene of the poem, right? That it's you know she this the speaker sort of moved to want to speak but then doesn't, and instead imagines its conversation, I get a little bit tangled up in the, in the who's who in the poem, though. When my teenage godson cries, right? So there's the right. speaker, the right. speaker's got a godson. Right. right? Um, and, then, and then sometimes his face is, right? I think of my own son's T-shirts, right? So the speaker has sons, but then we're back out to the godson's mother who died. Right. Okay. right. And then years after my brother dating black women. Okay. So it's peopled with a lot of figures and I just, I have a little difficulty tracking the, the spiral of characters. Okay. Okay. So you're saying that as a criticism. criticism. Um, yeah. And also an invitation for someone to explain it to me easier than I'm making it. Like, is there, is it really just super straightforward or am I just getting lost? So to, um, describe how the poem looks on the page, it's, um, uh, kind of fuller stanzas, almost sentencey, but we've got, uh, I mean, lines. The lines are, are wide, and um, there's a mixture of stanzas. We've got three, 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 two, three, one, um, and the whole "I tell him" chunk is italicized, right? And we pull back out when Jericho looks at me, and leans in, and whispers, right? So. I, I'm really, I, I think like the, the second stanza is really beautiful. 
and kind of the whiteness and the skin, I think is, is like really sort of deftly handled. Mm-hmm. Um, in the third stanza, I, I don't know. I, I start losing it because I know, okay, so, so th- this, this happens all the time, right? This is like structural racism that if you are a black woman taking care of children, then you are often assumed to be a nanny. Um, and this is less frequent when you're white, but I also know a lot of white women who complain about being mistaken for the nanny. Um, and like, I'm, I'm really like, for some reason, like, like that thing, I always know whether the white caretaker of a white kid is a nanny or a mom, mm-hmm. um, just because I hear from a lot of white people when this conversation comes up, that they're misrecognized. Like, like I, I sort of, I don't trust that there. Um, you know, what I thought was odd is that is, I guess it's the same thing. Why the black caretaker of a black kid, why you would know and then not know. I, I don't understand it. I simply don't understand. Oddly, on the drive here, I was going down Market Street or Walnut Street, and I saw a woman pushing a baby cart. And the first thing I thought of was, that's a nanny. Like, for some reason, it was just, I just thought. You just no, sensed it. No Were they the, the same mom. color, the baby and the mom? I couldn't see the baby. You couldn't see the baby. But I just thought, I just thought that's a nanny. <laughs> um, um, it was a white woman. But I just thought it was funny. But I'm a dad, so, you know, I go to a lot of, I'm just emerging from taking kids to the playgrounds a lot. You know, they're, they're off that. But you spot, you can, you get pretty good at spotting who the nannies and who the parents are. And that's sort of, it's sort of automatic. Uh-huh. But so I, I like, what is the relevance of the, in the context of this poem? No, not of your story, of, of that right. stanza in this poem. Why are we, why is she telling us about this? Because black people are, are constantly assumed to be in service positions, like especially when they're not. That like if you walk in on, you know, Natasha Salye tells a story about walking in on a student teacher conference and she just immediately starts talking to the white the older white man as the instructor, but actually the younger black woman was the instructor. Mm-hmm. Right. That kind of microaggression. Okay, right, so it's, it's the fact that you can't tell with the black people and she can tell with the white people. Well, I, yeah, I, I think I think that she's acknowledging that she's, well, I don't know. I was going to say, I think that she's acknowledging uh, microaggression, but I, I don't think she is because she's, like, that's that's what I find really, like, like, I find it very strange that she insists on that knowledge when it seems like so much, when I think the poem is strongest, when it's acknowledging what she doesn't know. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, yeah. So wait, Jason, can I, I want to just point to that stanza for a little bit longer, because I think if I'm understanding what you're saying, I always know whether the white caretaker of a white kid is a nanny or a mom is both like the speakers being both really bold, but also contradictory in that she's mm-hmm. it's like committing the very act of, of the, the sort of structural racism that she's like wanting to point at. Right, which is I always know that the white caretaker of white kid is a nanny or a mom when that might not actually be the case. Exact as you said, she's insisting on knowledge that she doesn't have. Right, um, and I, I guess that's part of like the, the like the queasy making quality of the poem that I, I think the the poet's after. Right, this mm-hmm. this um, the the you know the heaving seas of this. Right, where you, you think you're understanding what people's places are and. And, and, and then not, and then the, the stanza for me, that's also a little bit um, uh, like, like, I don't know, like kind of like jangles in my ears. When my godson's mother died, comma, we found it buried in a police line break blotter. 
And the it in that line bugs me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because Definitely. I don't, it, it, that's, that pronoun's like wild and not in a great way. Like it's pointing back to the beginning of the sentence, pointing forward to the rest of the sentence. And it's pointing to what? Like a, like a line in a police blotter, like black female. Well, you, you think the antecedent is mother, but the it's antecedent is actually the article. Exactly. But you're yeah. never given the word article, you just have it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, so, and that and that to me is like again part of the queasy making quality of the poem. And if the queasiness is the point, then spot on. But I don't there's there's something about the way the poem's like 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 rolling forward that I'm not quite trusting in in the intention of the, the those queasy moments, right? Like the intentionality of you know, is that is that meant to make me cringe? Well, each each stanza is an incident, right? Each stanza is about something else, even though the godson reappears uh-huh. and his mother reappears. It's, you know, this happened, this, you know, when my teenage godson cries, um, at school drop-off, when his mother died, after years of my brother dating black women, and then this whole other separate scene. Yeah. So we've got, you know, all these separate anecdotes that she's dropping on Jericho Brown. And I mean, I think there's an interesting thing about, like, like as as the whiteness kind of emerges through the poem, um, the idea of cornering Jericho um, by the wine and cheese takes on a really different valence, right? Because part of the ongoing difficulty and structural ways in which racism continues racism continues to assert itself is through kind of white people making it about themselves, right? And so, if a white person corners Jericho after his talk on racism and is like making it structurally about themselves by taking up his time, right? Then it's not, it's, it's kind of undoing the work that he's doing. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I'm not sure that this poem is, is doing enough to kind of decenter that structural, um, that structural power system. And, and so that comes up again with the godson's mother, right? So it, it, she's, she stays anonymous, right? I mean, I mean, the problem with this being in a police blotter is the way in which the deaths of women of color are normalized, regularized, and anonymized. Right. And I don't know if this calls attention to it or if it enacts it. Maybe it's and then followed directly things. by kind of, you know, like the, the admission of racism, right? Like the admission of white identification that I want my brother to be with white people because white people look like me and my mother, right? Like, I kind I, of like the awkwardness. Yeah. They deal with racism. I mean, that's, a, that's an awkward thing to deal with. When you're white. I mean, for me, <laughs> growing up in Alabama, there's like one black kid in the city. And then I live in areas with with African Americans. It takes it took me a while to not talk to black people like a white person. Yeah, but it's awkward for white people, and it's fatal for black people, right? Like, well, right. But, so this reflects. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it reflect. I think it does a pretty good job of portraying that awkwardness. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I feel like there might she might be taking on too many issues. Shree, what do you think? Um, okay. Um, so I'm sitting here speaking of awkwardness, looking very awkward because of this fear of being like the black representative speaking about racism. <laughs> in um, but so reading this, I was very confused. I'm just like, what are you trying to say here? But um, 
Jason, you were saying something about whether it's like trying to decenter the like I don't know who the I'm not sure if it was like being white and talking about racism. Um, I'm not sure, but I feel like it's not it's not meaning to decenter. I think that the purpose of the poem is to state that a lot of people are racist despite their relations. So this person, you know, she's going through all of these scenarios and saying, I have a black godson. Like, oh, wow, you must not be racist. You have a black godson. <laughs> you know, you love him a lot. His mother died. And then there's still these statements that, that reinforce that, like, okay, just because you're, you're white and you have black relations, you have a black sister-in-law, black godson, doesn't mean that you're not racist. And I think that, that this is what this is trying to say is like a confession. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it makes me think of also, you know, that scenario when people say, well, I can't be racist because I have tons of black friends. That's a lie. Um, so I think that this is what, like, the purpose is here. Um, when you see, like, this uh, person, like, it sounds at first like... Um, it's that, like, at first read, it sounds like um, the speaker is, uh, I guess, like, speaking out, like, against racism. Mm-hmm. But I really think that the purpose is to show that, like, so many more people are racist and don't realize it um, or just are, are hesitant to admit it. Well, I think everybody's inherently racist a little bit. Inherently? Yeah, I mean, I think... I th- I think it- Part of part of the human experience is discovering areas where you, you find out these you, you might behave in a way or one might behave in a way where they don't they're not intentionally racist, but then they find out it is, and you have to confront this reality. Yeah. So is, is what I'm doing offending people? And then you can either say, and then you need an avenue out. You need to be able to say, okay, I got to stop thinking this way. I got to consider this other point of view. And then the people accusing you of racism need to understand that your heart's in the right place and you need, and that you are willing to confront this issue and correct it. So <clears throat> there has to be this, this dialogue going on between people and uh, in less judgmentalism about, about the issues. Unless the people are being, when, when you're overtly racist and your intention is to hurt people, that's a completely different issue. But I find um, for instance, again, I grew up in Alabama and I was at a friend's house in high school and our friend, I referred to black people as colored and my friend's mom was absolutely mortified. To have people <laughs> talk like that. And I, I said, oh, I thought I was, I thought I was saying the nice thing. And I turned out <laughs> I had, I was just from Alabama. Yeah. But you know, I didn't say it anymore after that. Yeah. Because then I had to make an adjustment, but yeah. my heart was not to hurt people. And I think yeah. that's definitely the point. Like, this woman is racist at heart, but, like, does it mean to be? You know, that kind <laughs> yeah. Of thing. yeah. So, like, even goes all the way back to the end where slavery is a bad idea, um, Jericho says. Jericho looks at me, leans in, and whispers, slavery was a bad idea. So, like, not only was it a bad idea because of how, like, white people now will, will be, like, some will be racist at heart and not know it. Like, this woman, the speaker. Um, and then for Black people today also, because when you even look all the way back to the beginning of the poem, this is like one of the first things that stuck out to me when, when her teenage godson cries, there's no sound. Um, so even that containment of emotion, mm. that kind of thing, crying, crying like, what does it say, tears coming down like a faucet. Um, so clearly very, very moved, crying, but there's no sound. So there's this, this lack of... Um, 
showing emotion, where which is a clear result of slavery and, and oppression and everything like that, mm-hmm. you know, seen in the white population as well as in the white population. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it was kind of, it was a little difficult to see where this poem was going at her, um, when I read it. Just like, oh. What do you think about that last stanza, or this, uh, I guess, penultimate or, or third to last stanza about the little black girl getting smacked for calling her blue, eye, blue eyes weird? I was trying to figure out why, like, what that means for this poem. Like, where, why does that fit? I don't really. Well, I, the little black girl thinks of the white woman as an other, right? And she, right. It, so that that's I think that's all it means. She's not used to seeing blue eyes. She thinks it's weird. But but I mean, but the smack is important. The smack is really important because the black mother is also trying to make her daughter not be racist. Right, right. The kid was just being honest, and but it could be interpreted <laughs> as racist, right? Yeah. Weird is not yeah. weird. It's different, right? It's different, not weird. But she smacked her because it was such an awkward situation for the little girl to do that. So, what do you think that the speaker is trying to say by including that? The struggle that we have with racism, that everybody would rather think of themselves as not, but it's tricky. <laughs> You know, can I point out that racism is spelled wrong in the title? No, what? No, you're right. Well, none of us noticed that. Racism. Racism. Maybe she's drinking. I want to come back to um, Cherie's reading of the poem too, and and link it back to what Tim was saying. Like, if if there was a, a sense of the the speaker coming to awareness of her own complicity, right? Like. Um, like, uh, you know, if the, if the speaker was getting a smack in the face too, right. For like mm-hmm. other, like being in the process of other othering, there would be that this like meta level, right? Like a, the poem would be about a coming to awareness of the way we're caught in these structures, but that doesn't seem like that awareness is the point here. Right. And, and instead it's sort of like, perf- like performing a kind of ongoing stuckness in it. Right. At least that's my my reading of the poem. And I, and I do wonder about that title. Right. Like if the, the title is so descriptive in setting the moment, but it doesn't give us a sense of the, the like the speaker's understanding truly of of the moment. Right. It's just seen and go. I mean, I kind of wanted to, I, I, the more, the more time I spent with this poem, the more I kind of wanted that apparatus of Jericho um, giving the talk and, and of Jericho talking at the end. And I, I, I don't know if that's imagined at the end or if that's something he actually said. Um, but it seemed to me like it doesn't, it, it doesn't need that framing. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's kind of a more interesting poem if it isn't framed, um, you know, by kind of... It, 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 the, the framing feels false to me. Like, the, like these, these are, to, to make it into a silent confession to someone talking about race felt um, instrumentalizing to me. Yeah. Like, it, it puts Jericho in this position that I, I, I'm not, I, 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 don't know, I don't know quite how to say it, but I, I felt like all of these observations um, are critical for the poet to have, and 
And it feels like th this is not a necessary um, apparatus to kind of place them inside of. The nesting feels wrong to me. I, I agree with you, Jason, except I like the idea that every time Jericho Brown gives a talk anywhere, some white woman comes up and gives him her, her confessional. <laughs> I, love, I love that. You know this it's is probably... something that just weighs on anybody's neck who, who, yeah. who talks in this way. Right. Yeah. Um, and these are the types of people who like run diversity programs and like introduce children to racism. Right. You know, I, I, I see elementary kids all the time. Um, all the kids playing from different races, they could care less about it. Then at, by third or fourth grade, they introduce some diversity committee and now everybody hates each other you know, or, or starts talking about their differences and suddenly they know their difference. Um, yeah. yeah, I like this. I, I really love that image of him after just getting, having someone come over and unload on them. Mm -hmm. So, but I do, I, the way it's constructed in the poem, that does bother me. I, exactly what you said, Jason, but I do like also that, you know, the poem. Guys, I think that because we have four, we should, we should settle this thing. Yes. And do a virtual arm wrestle here and vote. Okay. okay are you ready? One, two, three, vote. Okay, Marsha, we've got three more tries because that one did not get in. Um, so I'm only laughing because of facial expressions here in the office. We'll, we'll ignore them for now and we'll move on to a very different poem. Um, I think I guess I should have noted that in the beginning, all four of these poems are very different um, tone, format, everything about them. Um, and you'll know that right away because the next one is called Ode to Flossing. And it actually really is an ode to plastic. <laughs> Who would like to read this one? I'll read it. Hey. Okay. Um, ode to flossing. If there were an award for flossing, I would work toward it. Pull the string from its dainty plastic box every chance I got just to hear the zoop zoop snap beneath the silver tooth that razors it in full. I'd work it through my oral crevices until I tasted salt and my spit ran red, reminiscing about how they sewed my best friend's wedding dress with white floss when her breasts became engorged enough on the big day to bust the strap. I'd wonder why it always lands on the edge of our silver trash can, dangling like a suicide mission. The owner, too tired to notice, the next observer, too disgusted, Oh, thin nylon filament of my evening. world <laughs> of joy. Don't ever try to tempt me with a floss wand. I'd prefer the magic of cutting off my finger circulation with twisted plastic ribbon. Thank you. In fact, I'd make floss brownies and eat them until the cops showed up and asked me to come, asked me to come with them. And why don't nice girls like you eat apples? That's what I do for the flossing award. So just back off, Dr. Smiley. I don't want your six-month postcard, your fake birthday wishes, and your sad bag of toothpaste, toothbrush, and dare I say it, floss. If you don't believe, after all our years together, that I do my best for my incisors, canines, bicuspids, and molars, let me spit in your bowl and no more. 
<laughs> Thank you. Quite. <laughs> so wait, listen. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of traveling here, and um, uh, my luggage got lost for the last three days. Oh so no! It just arrived this morning, and Lord help me. I sat down, read this poem, stood up, and flossed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh. I can open my suitcase and there was floss in there and I'm going to floss. <laughs> so thank yeah, you. So thank you, poet, Marsha, poet. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. I think the tone is consistent and, and keeps with the premise. Um, uh, this extreme... Extreme flossing is amusing. <laughs> I think we should make a reality show. Can I break off for a second and offer people a little uh, information about flossing? <laughs> I, I don't it. think I can stop you, Tim Pitts. <laughs> I learned uh, at the dentist office the other day because I was worried when I floss and I go up too high and it starts to hurt that I'm going to damage my gums. Sure. And I said, go as high as you want because actually when you start to damage the tissue, it makes the the gums grow to the teeth. So if you're forcing it, you can force oh. it a little bit. You're not going to hurt your, you're not going to cause your gums to recede more. You're just going to cause them to hold faster. So when you're flossing everybody, <laughs> uh, make get it, in make there. It bleed. Wow. So I, I want to jump in and say, um, when I read this poem, I was reminded of Jennifer Knox's poem called Ode to the New Girl in the Office. Yeah. Um, which... Has run your like, Belinda run. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Run your Belinda run. Right. Oh, whirling calliope of daisiness. Right. Like it's that, but ode to the new girl in the office when it, when it does this moment of, of like, Oh, I, Oh, you know, Oh, I forget exactly what the line is, but it pauses and it, it makes that sort of declarative, like, you know, sense making awesome, like a mar marveling at the very thing you're, you know, writing about. Um, made me uh, think about this poem's line breaks in not the best way, which is to say the poem like sits wide across the page. Yep. And it's super fun to read it, but I do not understand the line breaks so much so that as I was reading it, I was almost imagining it as a prose poem. Like I wanted them to be sentences that read as sentences in a paragraph rather than sentences that were breaking at the end of the line. And I wonder what anybody else had to say or thought about, um, the line breaks. I, I think the lines are too long to have the kind of enjambments that she's forcing. Mm -hmm. So if there were an award for flossing, I would work towards it, period, pull, line break, the mm -hmm. string. So that can be a really powerful um, line break, right? To break the verb from its object. Mm -hmm. But if your line is that long, um, the line, you, you're not shaping to the line you're not shaping the phrase to the line or the line to the phrase. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of a line break feels um, awkward rather than, um, you know, kind of pushing you forward or creating a kind of extra set of emphasis. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I like where it goes in terms of, of being angry that her dentist doesn't believe her, that she takes care of her teeth. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> 
<laughs> do you remember that Simpsons episode where the do- where the dentist asks Lisa if she's flossing and she says yes and he looks up and screams, why must you make my office a house of lies? <laughs> <laughs> no. I, um, oh, that's great. But, you know, in, like, in like very dramatic con kind of um, cinematography. But I mean, I, I, I like that this is sort of ultimately directed towards this disbelieving dentist. That it's ultimately kind of this person who's criticizing her and that all of this is really kind of a self-defense. Yeah, yeah. And her her love for it is really funny. I guess my, my only logistic question was, I don't think the cops would come if you ate brownies with floss in them. Oh. Who would notify the cops? Why would they care? <sighs> yeah, I'm not sure how the cops came, although the line was funny. Why don't nice girls like you eat apples? Well, no, well speaking of Jen Knox, do you know the story about when her dog ate a ball of yarn? <laughs> and they had to pull out the yarn. Uh, so floss oh, brownies made me think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, once it hit O thin nylon filament of my evening, I kind of failed. I really liked the first stanza <laughs> because once it's too disgusted, um, I'm standing in the bathroom looking at the trash can at least 100,000 nights looking. There's always... It have, that's such a great image. Yeah, Every that's time a great you see it, image. It's fresh. You're seeing that and you're thinking, my God, what's on that? What did you get? Disgusting piece of, you know, it's it's great. And so um, <laughs> on both sides, because sometimes you hit the trash can, you're like, ah. <laughs> and then when you see it from the other side, it's such a selfish thing to do and see uh, that it's silly. But it's still not um, too silly mm-hmm. because you also have, I, I, I mean, let's not stray too far from the engorged breasts because that's a great image too because <laughs> someone at the wedding, their, their breasts are bulging out of the dress, which kind of implies that the, she's preggers. She's pregnant, right. And so that adds this other layer that's kind of interesting to it. Yeah. And then that really nice image is completely distant once you get to the cops busting somebody over eating. See, you're out. I'm out. Floss brownie. Yeah. But I love the, and then I think, I wonder if the line breaks would be an issue if it was that short or if they could just then be stretched out a little bit. Yeah. Right. Or just well, maybe I, I want to jump in on the, the floss at, and sewing and the cleavage, right? Because on, on one hand, the poet's making very, like, there's a very specific note there that your gums bleed when you're pregnant, right? So that's kind of like a funny little aside, mm-hmm. right? But then the, the floss brownies is just like, whack, like kind of wacky and surreal that hits a different tone, you know, in the, in the scale of this poem, which does feel like it's running the scales a bit, right? In this sort of wacky monologue um, to this, to this dentist. Right. And it, so I would say, I, in fact, right. These first two poems are in this sort of like monologue vein, right. Of sort of speaking to an, an implied audience, you know, either the, the dentist or the, or Jericho, right. The sort of the dream of Jericho. Yeah. I feel like everything, I agree with everything you guys are saying, but so many images are great. And I think we will actually recall the sad bag of toothpaste. <laughs> 
you know, you're never going to get that little bag again. And- like, I cannot tell you what joy, like, I, I am, and I am not being sarcastic right now. I really, I love the bag of toothpaste mm-hmm. and the toothbrush and the floss. Like, I don't, it. <laughs> but really don't you do. think the I next time don't you think the next time you get one you're gonna think of it as a sad bag no i love that bag sad bag of oh, toothpaste yeah, dude, toothbrush. i feel so guilty when i get that bag why because for all the years i didn't take care of my teeth oh and i just still I, every time i get it i feel like I'm i think we might shame. remember the engorged breast definitely that. gonna remember the trash can the, the floss Absolutely. hanging out of the trash can the sad bag you know it's i think she's a good writer i just want to say that oh definitely yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely yeah um and i think we should vote because we have two more okay you don't need to point and out are, are there floss, right? all right are we gonna vote yep. shall we okay one two three vote all right, Marsha, we still have two more tries <laughs> that did not get in, but we are now about to read Letter to Myself at 80. Yay. Jason, would you do this? I nominate Jason. And, and I'm excited about this one because I can tie a cherry stem in a knot with my mouth. I taught myself to do it after that episode of Twin Peaks, um, like which was in the 90s. But I, I was at a party recently, and, and I confirmed that I actually still can do it. So. <laughs> I, I'm very excited about this about this poem because it gives me a chance to to describe my own talents. Okay. Yeah. Um, letter to myself at eighty. <laughs> I hope you know you're still lovely, with a tongue that cannot a maraschino cherry stem. Then turn the world straight. Your wrinkled branches remain for you to dance in the wind. Remember, on your most ragdoll of days, you are holy. But why am I telling you this? Surely you know more now than I do. And you would tell me with your gold fusion sarcasm, take it easy, girl. Slow down. Enjoy the ride because it's all a mid-afternoon spin with the top down, the sun spraying you with dynamite. Remember that day in summer when your oldest boy was less than one? The way you lay in the crabgrass, legs and arms skyward with him resting on your hands and feet, flying while you hated what your life had become. But you laughed and laughed with that creature, both finding your way in the kingdom. That's how it works. Sucking life into your bones. What the hummingbirds always knew. So can we vote now? (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm already voting. You wouldn't yes, believe what I'm yes, doing in yes, here. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was really fun. Oh my the, God. the line breaks here are just a joy. Oh, right? Damn. The line breaks are Brilliant. such are oh. so well done. Brilliant. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Do it again. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not discuss it. Let's just everybody gets to read it once. <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. god, the ending is so gorgeous. What the hummingbirds always knew. Oh my Jeez. god, Yes. <laughs> Remember on your most ragdoll of days, you are holy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, jeez. Gold fusion sarcasm. The sun spraying you with dynamite. Holy crap. It's so good. It's so good. I don't know. I love um, 
your oldest boy was less than one. I don't know. I just love that because it reminds me of like all like the older women like sitting around talking about their oldest one. Yeah. Smallest grandbaby, that kind of thing. So yeah. Like flashbacks and stuff. So oh, and I what? Really love the language. What an image is that too? That she doesn't, you know, hating what your life had become. And she's having this gorgeous moment with her one-year-old. Oh, I, I hate to be like wicked technical, but look at the line break on the, on the line that Sheree pointed out. Remember that day in summer when your oldest boy line break was less than one, right? And you've got the sort of like, you know, your oldest at, at, at this youngest moment, right? This sort of like arbitrage thing. It's freaking gorgeous. And it's on the line break. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Isn't it amazing that we're like, we, we don't even want to talk about it. No. <laughs> we're just like, we'll talk and talk and talk and vote no. And then on this one, we're just like, all right. Yes. Moving on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Reading to myself every day. Mm-hmm. Damn. <laughs> all right. Really? I guess maybe we should. We've got one more. Are we all agreed that we're voting? Yeah. All right. One, two, three, vote. (laughs) (laughs) And it's unanimous. Surprise! Brilliant poem. Yeah, Yeah. well, I mean, I hope our listeners are appreciating this. This is all coming from one poet and the uh, diversity of the the work here and how much we're able to discuss this stuff. It's just great. Thank you, Marsha LeBeau. Thank you so much. And we've got one more from you. Uh-uh. And I guess Shereen and Tim are the only two that haven't read. I, I can read it. <laughs> All right. Tim's going to do it. After you tell me you and your wife have an agreement, I want to talk about everything except your agreement here in my car where you're taking up too much space. I want to look at your knees knocking my glove box as the branches of the Norwegian maple vein the moon roof and think about what you could have been if you had just kept your lips shut. I'll make an agreement with you. Open the door, walk into your house, and go lay on your pottery barn bed beside your wife. Commune with her lips and lips and toes and moan into the darkness. Be the kind of man who doesn't have an agreement, so that I wish you did. Hmm. There we go. You and your pottery barn bed. All right, so this one is also, Marsha does like her long lines. It's a long, they're long lines, two stanzas. The second stanza is the um, agreement, open the door. And um, yeah, what do we think? And it doesn't silly out. It does not silly. I feel like she stopped, for me, I like uh, that this poem stops at the right place. And the lines, I don't, so since I'm not a poet, I do. I did kind of find it a little difficult, like reading car and then scaling all the way back to, or scanning back all the way to where. And I feel like if it was just a regular prose block, it would maybe read a little easier. But that's ticky tack stuff. I mean, I like the, I like the images and I like the sentiment. Um, and uh, I feel like the the first half and the second half harmonize well. Um, you know, I would have that that line. I want to look at your knees knocking my glove box as the branches of the Norwegian maple vein the moon roof and think about what could have been if you just kept your lips shut. No punctuation, yeah. all of that power. I dig that line. 
Yeah, I dig that line. I and actually, dig that line. I'm going to jump in and say I dig the line breaks. And that first stanza, it's really quite delicious, right? So I want to talk about everything except your agreement, comma, here in my car, right? Line break, where you're, ta- where you're taking up too much space. I want to look at your knees knocking, which makes them sound afraid. You're like, your knees are knocking, but it's not going to get I th- they're just knocking the glove box. That's right? what I'm saying, right? Yeah. As it, so you get that you're hung in this possibility of meaning. Like you're, you're just right, like, right. Now. And then no, it's the glove box. And the same thing next. The branches of the maple vein, the moon. So you're thinking of the moon. Oh no, it's the moon roof. Right, 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 right. That's lovely. The way, the way that it, like the sort of scanning back to the long, to the beginning of the long line, you get the, the meaning shifts. That's, that's really elegantly done, I'd say. Yeah. I, I, and I like the flipping back and forth and back and forth. Like, she's ready to be with this dude. Then he tells her about the agreement. And yeah. she's like, why didn't you keep your lips shut? Yep. If you had just shut up, we could have had our time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But now, I've got to say, go in that house and yep. lay down with your bed in the pottery barn wife. What you know that change is done, right? Because that would make you more desirable to me now. Go right, right, yeah. absolutely. Good, good. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, we didn't hear from Jason or Sheree. Jason, Jason, did did, did oh, his birthday no, soiree no, begin? He's gone. Did, was the phone? You ringing? can't hear me. I'm sorry. I was muted. I forgot I was. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I was saying, Cherie, jump in. Busy. Your mouth is busy with those cherry stems. We know. But what do you think <laughs> of this poem? Um, well, I like that. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel about this. That it ends on this idea that she would sleep with him as long as he's not allowed to. That, like, in telling her that he has the agreement, he loses the libidinal attraction that she would need to go through with it. But if, if he loved his wife exclusively, then like the, 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 the openness of their marriage mm-hmm. is what makes entering an affair entirely unappealing. I, I, had, a, I had a different read. Because I, I don't think she says, and then I would have slept with you. She says, I would wish to sleep with you. Oh, that like the, the possibility of enacting it is what turns her off, but the possibility of wanting it is erotic. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. If he had just kept his mouth shut about the agreement, then she wouldn't have known, right? And be the kind of man who doesn't have an yeah. agreement so that I wish you did. I don't, I don't think that means then I would sleep with you if you were um, off limits. Should rather have the wish and the desire. Right? I, yeah, no, I, I like I like your reading better. <laughs> what do you uh, um, comments on the work itself? Oh, Sheree has to go to class. You got to oh, vote before you go. Just tell me. Three. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> All right. She gave me her vote, Bye. and she's going to class. See you later. Have a great day. Bye. <laughs> So, are there other comments? We're really done? Let's work. All right. All right. Let's do it. One, two, three, vote.
Wow, that had the most dramatic tension of any of the poems, Ever. but it's in. It's oh, in. Great. It's in. Wow. All right. Way to go. Congratulations. All right. All right, Marsha. Two and two. That's pretty damn good, I'd say. With us, with our crew, Marsha LeBeau, thank you so much for your work. Um, does anybody on the team have anything they'd like to say before we wrap it up? Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I have to say. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, we're going to have so much to do over the summer. In fact, I want to plan a PBQ BBQ. So, uh, yeah, and I, I really don't think it's too early because with Tim traveling and everything too, we've, we've got to, we've got to find a date that everybody's in the country. Awesome. So we'll invite all the listeners as well. Oh shoot. Earlier I told them, oh, I only told them my office address, not my home address. <laughs> <laughs> if they showed up for a barbecue here, that would be tricky. But um, anyway. I would like to encourage listeners so with all the talk about the president's budget and what's going to happen in the NDA and, and everything that we like that the government spends money on, to so when you're reading a literary journal and you find an author with a story or poem you like, try to buy the book. Once yeah. a year, buy a book. Because yeah. the only way that writers can keep writing is if people are buying the books. That's the only way to make it sustainable. Amen. So... You know, it's not like everyone has to go out and buy a box full, but if people just go out and buy a book or two in a year, everyone yeah. should, or give them as presents. Or bring, give them as gifts. That's bring, what I was just going to say. When you go to someone's house, either bring a bottle of wine or bring a book. People love books. They like getting a book, and uh, it keeps the ship afloat. And, there you and go. don't forget to support your library. Use yes. your library. Yeah. Right. And, right. Yeah, and ask your libraries to buy the books of the authors you yeah. like. Yeah. 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 I All love right. you people. I love yeah. you people. <laughs> well, that's why we'll have a PBQ BBQ and we'll just hug each other the whole time. That's perfect. I love it. All right. All right. Well, listeners, um, please tell us what you think of this episode of the podcast in general, all that stuff on Facebook. Uh, follow us on all social media platforms and keep reading. Thank you. Woo!